Well, good morning. You're uh, going now that we've had a little bit of a break. We're going to uh, we're going to see if we can uh, get into the text of Second Peter. We'll be looking at verses uh, chapter one, verses one through three this morning as we as we approach the text. If if you'll just uh, uh, a little uh, note about your the outlines I gave you. If you notice in the first line, the second reference number, there's a line under it because my proofreader caught the mistake that I left off the C that should be in front of that. Uh, however, then my printer didn't work, and I had to use the copier, and I only had one, the corrected copy to copy. So, so there's no C for Corinthians. So it's First Corinthians seven twenty two. Not, I didn't create a new book of, of or. I thought about it, but I thought it wasn't a good idea, especially given where this book is going to go. Uh, but at any rate, at any rate, uh, that's where we're going to begin this morning. We're going to be looking at Second uh, Peter chapter one, verses one through three, and and in these opening remarks, there there's actually a ton of theology in these four verses. Um, it's it's a greeting, it's a salutation, and then his opening remarks, and and it really speaks to the whole. Um, Array or not array the the whole uh, uh, breadth of our sanctification uh, this this addresses that period of time between justification and before glorification sanctification that that time in which uh, in which we all currently exist and so I, I think it, it has some some really important uh, truths here and it talks about the the promises that God has made and and the reality of who we actually are in Jesus Christ Christ. Those those things are all a part of just these first four verses, where he's basically saying hi, guys, and and uh, 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 and he goes on from there. But at any rate, that's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to be looking at looking at this. I I I I, uh, I kind of focus the outline around the word faith, uh, which which comes up right away, right at the end of verse one. And uh, basically, the origins of our faith, the knowledge that our faith brings, and and the privileges that accompany our faith. Those are those are the things he's going to going to talk about in this. Uh, incidentally, knowledge is a primary word running through this text. Uh, it's a word that Peter uses quite a bit, uh, but in this in these for, in these first four verses, it's all tied together in verses two and three. So we'll be looking we'll be looking at that as we as we as we. Uh, as we uh, as we get into this text this morning, I hope you bear with me this morning. My uh, uh, my uh, allergies have kicked into gear as my uh, liquid amber tree decided to spread all of its pollen over my backyard. So anyway, at any rate, maybe I can read my notes. I hope. <laughs> Anyhow, here we go. So anyway, verse one: um, the origins of our faith. Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of of Jesus Christ, to those who receive the same kind of faith as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So he he opens remarks. He opens his letter in the standard near uh, ancient Near Eastern methodology of identifying the writer up front, um, um, and and can, and and then going to a, a greeting along with a salutation, a, a hope for them a prayer incense uh, toward them that it's the typical typical way that a that a letter would be written in that day uh, as opposed to we would do it 
dear folks, and then at the end of it, tell them who wrote it. Uh, but they tell them up front who wrote it. And so, so that's what he's doing here. He says, Simon Peter. First of all, he uses, he uses, he, he puts here together the combination of his names, his Hebrew name, Simon, uh, which is, uh, which is a derivative actually of, uh, of, uh, of Samson. And it means God hears. Uh, that was his given name. Simon Barjona was his name. Simon, son of Jonah, uh, was his given name. <clears throat> it was a very common Jewish name in our outline. We discussed the, I think it was eight uh, different Simons that are listed in the New Testament and why this one points to him. We've, we've kind of went through that in our introduction a couple of weeks ago. Uh, hopefully you remember that. Uh, and, and here he, he, uh, he, he, he uses that name to, to initiate it. He didn't do that in, in first Peter one. He just, he just said Peter, but here he uses uh, the both names. He uses Simon Peter. Incidentally, if you get into the commentaries, especially the ones written by liberals, they try to use that as a point to say that this is a late dated book and it wasn't written by Simon, by Peter. It's written by somebody else, but the book identifies itself very clearly. This is this is an authentic writing of Peter, the apostle. And he goes on and he says, and, and he uh, and he, and this this name is used a number of times. The combination of names. They try to argue that that the combination of names isn't used, but it's used by John. It's used by James in Acts fifteen fourteen. Uh, it's used a number of times. It's used a number of times in the New Testament. So it, it wasn't an uncommon name. It was primarily used by Jesus, where he combined both names. Simon Peter, uh, where he didn't, where he used the name Simon, uh, when Peter was out of step, uh, when he wasn't doing as he ought to do, uh, he would use he would use the name Simon. Uh, I think it was to shock him into the reality that he was messing up. You know, is really the idea. And then he goes on and he, he uses he uses the name Jesus gave him Peter, uh, Petros, rock in Greek is what it means. Uh, actually, Jesus used the Aramaic. He called him Cephas, which is is the same name. It means rock in Aramaic. Uh, it would be the equivalent to Petros in, in Greek. And and so he gives both of those names, Simon Peter. Uh, he does not say in the opening remarks who the letter is addressed to. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't say anything about that. How, however, in chapter three, verse one, he says, "This is the second letter which I am writing to you," which makes it pretty clear that he's writing this letter to the same people he wrote the first letter to. The combination of Jewish believers and and Gentile believers who are spread throughout Asia Minor. This is this is this is to whom he is still writing. That's that's the idea here, because he's writing that same he's saying I writing to the same group of people that he listed in First Peter one one. Uh, this combination of both Jewish and Gentile leaders, uh, believers, probably somewhere between the years of 67 and 68 A.D. We don't know exactly, but right in that time frame is when this letter, um, when this letter was written, right before, just prior to his execution. It has to be written before, I forgot which month it is right off the top of my head. But anyway, it had to be written before a certain month in, 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 uh, um, in A.D. 68, because that's when Nero died. So uh, he ex- and Nero is the one who had him executed. So what were your parameters again? 67. 67. 67 maybe as late as 60, early part of 68. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> Probably 67. Okay. 
And then he goes on and he says, Simon Peter, a slave, the first thing he identifies himself as. The LSB uses the word slave. Most of the other translations use the word servant, but it is doulos, which means slave. That's what the word means. And and, uh, it it denotes a place of submission, of duty, of obedience. Uh, And uh, uh, quite frankly, there are quite a number of people in Scripture that are identified this way. people that we would hold up as great men of the faith, men like Moses, Joshua, David, all the prophets, Paul, James, and Jude, all identify themselves as doulos, or slaves, or identified that way, at least. He goes on to say here, and and incidentally, doulos is the name the New Testament eventually will use for all believers. That's the name it uses for all believers. 1 Corinthians 7.22, Ephesians uh, uh, 6.6, 2 Timothy 2.24 says, And the Lord's slave must not be quarrelsome, but he is to be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong. And in that context, he's talking about to to the believers in general. He's telling Timothy, this is the way the church is to behave. This is who they are. That's what he's saying. And he's saying it could be translated. You could simply say the Lord's people. But he he uses the word slave to make it make it very, very clear uh, how that word is being used here. Now, in the Greek world and in the Roman world, uh, this wasn't a name to be proud of. Uh, This was was to put you in a class of individuals that were seen uh, as equal to. Beast of burden, basically, to the farm animals. That's really what it saw. Uh, most of the Greek philosophers speak of, of slaves as tools, uh, just instruments to get the work done, is, is the idea uh, that, they, that they have about them. In other words, it was a demeaning term in the culture. But in Christ, it is, it's honorable. It acknowledges that we owe our obedience to the Master regardless of cost. That's, that's, that's how the word is actually being used uh, when believers are referred to in this way. Uh, it, it, doulos, basically, the, the, the term doulos, as it's, as it's used both scripturally, it, it applies both scripturally, but, it, but as, it, as, it was, as it was seen in the law of the ancient, uh, the ancient world, the Roman world, uh, meant that the doulos totally belonged to the master. Of course, in Christ, we belong to God. That's, that's the, he bought us. He purchased us. Uh, we are his. That's the idea. Uh, we are totally his. Secondly, uh, it, it meant that the, the due loss was to always be available to the master. Uh, he was to be available. Uh, he was to be ready to serve the master whenever the master wanted him to serve. That's the idea. And, of course, the believer likewise uh, we are to be available for service to our God. That's, that's, that's the idea. And then f- thirdly, uh, the due loss was to give unquestioning obedience. In other words, you didn't get to argue with the boss. I don't know how many of you have ever had employees, but they always want to argue the orders you give them for some reason. Uh, but, uh, uh, but, uh, uh, but nevertheless, uh, for the due loss, that was not allowed. You didn't question. 
what uh, what the master said to you. And basically for the believer, that's the idea here. We are to be submitted to the will of God and we are to carry out the will of God. And we are to understand that all things work together for good on our behalf. That's 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 the idea uh, of do loss in, in the Christian context. And then uh, then finally, and this kind of goes along with always available, but it's a, has a little different tone to it. Uh, he was to be in, he was in constant service. In other words, the do losses work day was was twenty four seven. He was not. He didn't get coffee breaks every two hours. He didn't get a half hour for lunch. He didn't get he didn't get uh, two weeks vacation. He didn't get leave for this or that or sick leave or time off because he stubbed his toe. He was always in service. He had no time of his own. And basically, likewise, for the Christian, we're always to be in service. We're always to be the representative of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are those are the ideas that are that are that are connected with this. And incidentally, at this point, Paul up uh, here, excuse me, Peter is basically identifying his position as equal to that of every other believer, and that's an important factor. Uh, we all are the same at the foot of the cross. There is no distinction. We may have differing roles. We might even have differing titles. We may function in a different way. But as far as our service to God, it's all as a doulos. A doulos. Excuse me. And, uh, and, we are, and we are to remember that we belong to God. We're to be available to God. We're to have, give unquestioning obedience. And we are to be in constant service, regardless of where we are placed Within within the church, that's 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 the idea here, and Peter begins by saying that, and then he goes on to say he gives what his position in the church is. Uh, he is a servant of God, but he's a servant of God to which God has given a certain authority. He says he is a, an apostle. That's that's the next thing that he says about himself. He says he's an apostle, and he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He makes it very clear who it is he answers to. And from and by by whom author, whom's author, whose authority he operates. Uh, Peter was a person was an individual who God or who Jesus specifically commissioned as an apostle. He was a witness of the resurrection, and he had the authority to proclaim. The truth of Jesus Christ. He had that authority. That's why he could write this book. He had the authority to do so. God gave it to him. First uh, John one. First John one verses one through four. What was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes and what we what we have beheld and touched with our hands concerning the word of life and the and the life was manifest and we have seen it and bear witness and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the father and with uh, with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we are writing so that your joy may be complete. And basically, John here is is verifying the authority of Scripture as as given through the apostles by 
Jesus Christ himself. That's the idea that he's expressing here. And that's what Peter is, that's what Peter is saying here. He's basically saying, he's basically saying that this is Simon Peter. This is, this is, this is, this is who I am. Uh, I am a slave just like all of you of Jesus Christ, but I am also an apostle and I have the authority to speak to you on Jesus' behalf. Uh, that's 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 what he's telling them uh, in here. There's both authority and humility uh, tied together in this uh, in this text. And then he says, and I'm writing to those who have received the same kind of faith as ours. He addressed, in other words, he is addressing fellow believers. This this book is written to believers. It's written to you and me. It's written to all of those who share the common faith in Jesus Christ. That's that's basically what he's saying you know, when he writes this. He says he uses this word "received," which is a very interesting Greek word. It means it means to have gained by divine call or to be given uh, or to be given by an allotment. Uh, it, it is the word that, that uh, illustrates the idea of casting lots, which was, was a biblical means by which, uh, which men determined the will of God. It is seen in Leviticus uh, 16, 8 through, uh, 8 through 10, where when the two goats were brought to the sacrifice, one to be the escape goat, one to be sacrificed, they cast a lot to see which one would be the escape goat. By the will of God, this goat or that goat. That was that was the idea. That's that's the first place I believe it's seen is is in Levit- uh, Leviticus six. It's also seen in Acts chapter one sixteen through twenty six when they when the uh, apostles got together to determine God's will who should be the who should fill the slot of Judas Iscariot the traitor, uh, and of course Matthias was the lot fell on him and he took that position. <clears throat> Uh, the implication that is, as we receive God's call is, has nothing to do with any human we- uh, worth or any human effort. Effort it's completely and totally received by faith. That's that's the idea here. It's it's an act of God. It's it's what God does on our behalf. Uh, and then he uses the word we receive the same kind of faith as ours. Uh, and what he is saying here is he's simply saying. That we all believe in the same God. We all believe in the same Christ. We have all put our trust in the same means of salvation. That, that's ultimately what this means. Uh, this, this means that we have all come to the foot of the cross to receive mercy from Jesus Christ. That's, that's the idea he's expressing here. That's what we have all received. And, and, he, and he uses this word faith, which, which has two, uh, two ways it's used in the New Testament primarily. One is objective faith. Uh, that basically is the book you have in front of you, your, your scriptures. It is the word of God. It is the revealed word of God. Uh, that is the doctrines of the faith uh, as published by God himself and explained by the apostles in the epistles, and, and, which is also part of the word of God, but is explained in the, in the epistles and, 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 and delivered to us. That's, that's the idea here. That's the objective faith. The, there's a second side to faith, which is subjective. And that's when an individual puts their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. The two go together. They're based on each other, is the idea. It's, it's the objective faith that tells us we can be saved. It's the subjective faith where we receive 
that's salvation. That's 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 the that's the idea he's he's trying to express here. Ephesians two eight and nine tells us that the faith we have is not of ourselves; it is the gift of God. And that's that's really the important factor here to understand. You didn't come to faith because you decided, hey, this is a good idea. You came to faith because God gave you the ability to. That's ultimately what 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 is what is being taught in Ephesians um, uh, Ephesians chapter two, in in verses eight and nine. It's a gift of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. The ability to believe, to exercise faith, is God-given. God gave it to us. Yeah, we made a choice in, in, in time and space, but God ultimately gave us the ability to do that. That's, 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 the, that's the idea here. And he says it's the same kind, which basically means it's of equal value or of equal, equal, excuse me, equal privilege. All those who have placed their trust in Christ did it the same way, through a gift of God. The circumstances may have been different, the place may have been different, the time may have been different, but it ultimately was because God gifted you to do so. That's, the, that's, that's what he's telling us here. Uh, that's what he's saying. Faith, therefore, is equal among all believers. Each of, us, each of us receive faith as a personal gift and are all equal at the foot of the cross. Galatians 3.28, there is now, therefore, no difference between Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, and free. We're all one at the cross. That's, that's the idea here. And he says this was done by... This uh, this gift was given through or by uh, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Basically, here now he goes into he goes into the doctrine of imputation. He says he says by the righteousness of Jesus, faith is available because righteous Jesus took the penalty of your sin on the cross of Calvary. And in so doing, was able to impute to you his righteousness when faith is exercised. Uh, And that's where we stand. God doesn't look at me and say, hey, you know, that guy did this and this and this because the the other list far outweighs it, you know. But he, he doesn't say that. He looks at me and he says, he is mine because he's in Christ. The righteousness of Christ covers him. That's that's the only reason I can come. Is because Christ's righteousness covers me. And the same for you. That's, that's what he's telling us here. Uh, that gift was exercised, that gift of faith was exercised because Christ's righteousness made it available and he imputed it to, 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 imputed it to me so that when God looks at John Adamson, he basically sees Jesus and what he has done and not me. Thankfully, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. More than that, I count all things to be lost 
Well, actually, let's back up to seven. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I counted all things lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is now for, uh, the righteousness which is from God upon faith, and that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death in order that I might obtain to the resurrection of the dead. Why will, I, why will we be resurrected to the newness of life? Because Christ's righteousness covered us. That's 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 what he's that's what he's saying here. He's this is all of this is summed up in this simple greeting where he says, Simon Peter, a slave of the apostle, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received the same kind of faith as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's the full there's therein is salvation. We receive faith as a gift from God because Christ's righteousness has covered us. That's ultimately what he's what he's telling us here. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse five. Pull the sticker off and then you can't find it. Verse starting at verse eighteen. <clears throat> well, let's start at verse seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things pass away. Behold, uh, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, uh, through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Reconciliation means that we have been put at peace with God. There is no more war between God and me. We are at peace because of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what this is saying here. And he says, it's by our God and Savior. And just a, just a note on this one here, uh, because if, if you're looking in commentaries and you're reading them, there's going to be a debate here. Uh, does, this, does this mean God and Christ? Or does it mean, or is it a claim of, of deity of Jesus? It's the latter. Uh, because in the de- uh, in the Greek construction of this particular <clears throat> of this particular verse, there is only one article, and the the rule is that if there's only one article followed by two nouns, that article covers both nouns. So it's 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 <laughs> it's our God, Savior Jesus Christ. That's that's really what the, this is saying. This is a claim to this is an affirmation of Jesus' deity in this in this particular verse. Incidentally, Peter uh, in Acts two twenty one through thirty six in his in his address before the Jews assembled on the day of Pentecost, he attributes the Old Testament works of Yahweh to Jesus. That's that's so. That's ultimately uh, ultimately this is this is a claim of deity. Uh, in this in this uh, in this particular text, and then he goes on in verse two, <clears throat> which would be the, the salutation uh, form of the of the of the of the greeting, and he and he and he says he says here he says grace and peace be multiplied to you in the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our our Lord. 
Uh, grace and peace is a very common expression uh, that, were, that is found throughout the New Testament. It almost became a, a buzzword, I guess, within the Christian community. Grace and peace to you. That, was, that, that is, that is a, a very typical and very open New Testament greeting. It's found in every one of Paul's epistle, with the exception of First and Second Timothy. It's also found, it's also used by Jude, and it's, or no, Jude? Peter, excuse me, it's used by Peter in both of his books, and it's also used in the book of Revelation. This 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 type of this type of uh, this type of greeting. Grace, of course, is God's unmerited favor, uh, which He has freely given. Uh, it uh, it is forgiveness forever through Jesus Christ. That's that's the idea behind grace. It basically basically means you receive this gift. Solely, freely, and openly from God, based on nothing you had to offer. That's 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 what it's saying. And then, secondly, he says peace, and peace once again comes back to that word reconciliation. It's it's we have peace because of grace. Uh, grace. Uh, one of the products of grace is that we have. Having been saved, we have been reconciled. Having been reconciled, we've been put at peace with God. Therefore, we have peace with God. We are at peace with God. That's 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 the idea. Uh, uh, it's an effect of grace. Second uh, Colossians one twenty says, and through him uh, and through him to reconcile all things to and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Uh, that's the idea here. We've been put to pe- We've been put at peace with God. God is at peace with us. Through the cross of Jesus Christ. So that's the greeting here. It's grace, the grace, the unmerited favor which God has shown upon you. And from that unmerited favor came reconciliation which which made you at peace with God. You have peace with God. God God is no longer at war with you. And then he says that it might be multiplied. Uh, Some commentators ask, well, how do you multiply divine gifts? that are freely bestowed, the idea isn't so much that, that they be multiplied, but that you, you grow in them and you see them as an everlasting flow in your life. You see these flowing through your life. Jude 2 uses the same idea. Uh, John in, in chapter 1, verse 6, 16 says, something, says grace upon grace. Uh, that that kind of idea. Uh, it's the idea of boundless flow of God's favor because of the peace is 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 actually the idea here is that that's how we live our lives uh, is 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 in the boundless flow of his favor. Philippians chapter four. Uh, verse 7, he writes, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. That's really the idea here, that we come to live in that position. That's how the grace and peace is multiplied, is that is basically we come to live in a position of grace and peace continually in our lives, that that's, that's where we live. That's our, that's our home base, if you will. And then he says, and then he goes on and he says, in the full knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. The word knowledge here, and this is an interesting, I kind of have a note at the end, but I may kind of interject some of it here. Uh, the word knowledge here is epigenosis. Gnosis is the normal word for no, Greek word for knowledge. Epi means super or bigger or 
abundant or something like that. So any of those kinds of things. It means great knowledge, if, if you will, superior knowledge. That's how it's used by the mystics, incidentally. Uh, that's how the Gnostics use it. Today's uh, New Age movement uses it that way. Some of the Eastern religions uh, would use it that way. That somehow you can achieve to a level of super knowledge beyond the knowledge of just us common folks. You know, that, that kind of idea. Uh, and that flowed through it. And I think, and Peter, Peter takes this word and uses it how it should be used, not how they use it. Uh, Peter is not saying that, that there is this rare few that can be elevated beyond, who reach this upper level, if you will, uh, uh, to a higher plane or whatever they call it, uh, those kind of ideas. Uh, Peter, is, uh, Peter is saying, <clears throat> Peter is saying, Peter here is, 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 saying, is saying that the, is the idea of a rich, full, thorough understanding it's 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 knowing God fully. It's an ultimate, an ultimate understanding of a specific subject. In other words, what Peter is saying is, may we all become experts in theology. I don't let that scare you. It just means in the teachings. That's all it means. Uh, I I just got I I'm going to take a diversion for just a moment because you know. I, Kathy and I have been here about two years now, and uh, um, I've been around church for a long time. I, I have uh, uh, served in leadership positions for a very long time, and I've taught New Testament for roughly 40 years. I tried to add it up one time, and then I couldn't remember how it really came out. But at any rate, um, uh, close to 40 years, I've, been te- I've taught the entire New Testament at least once. And about a third of the Old Testament, well, maybe a quarter of the Old Testament. Uh, but uh, uh, but when I came here, there there was something that really really impressed me. And I know most of you have been through it. And if you haven't been through it, you probably ought to be. And not that I want to lose you out of my class, but you ought to be. And that's the BTI program they have here. It's incredible. It was something that. For years, I tried to figure out how to impose, but we didn't have a church that was really big enough to do it um, because it is basic, deep theological training, and it teaches you how to study. And you know what? You're all capable. Everybody in this room is capable of doing it. Uh, you know, it's not a select few. Yeah, there are some of us who have been given the gift, hopefully, to communicate accurately the Word of God and to help you in your own personal study and growth, but it's not superior knowledge. It's available to all of us, and that's what Peter is saying here. And that's what Peter is saying, this is who you should be. This is who you should be. This is where you should be. You should be able to... No, it doesn't mean that you've studied the Greek and the Hebrew and all that, but incidentally, there are books in English that tell you, you know, you can cheat. Uh, but, uh, uh, but it's there. It's there. Uh, but but, but the, idea, the idea here is that we all have a thorough understanding of the subject at hand, which is God. And salvation through Christ Jesus. That's, that's ultimately what, what he's saying here. He, he, says, he says, first of all, 
And then here, too, this is, again, the same idea as it was with faith. There, there are two aspects of it. There is rational knowledge or intellectual knowledge. And, and we, we very often say that, that that's not simply enough to be saved, and it's not. You need both is really the idea that I want to get to here. But you do need intellectual knowledge. This is the idea. Uh, this flows out of the Old Testament. The, uh, the Old Testament, the, the people of the Old Testament were to know the book. They were to be people of the book. That was the idea. Uh, but, it's, but it's expressed uh, very much in God's Word that we are to, to know the Word of God. Jesus said in John, uh, in his high priestly prayer, which is recorded in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth, thy word is truth. Uh, we are all to be experts in that book. That's, that's, that's the idea. We are to know what it says, and we're to understand what it says. Romans 10, uh, Romans, Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the words of Christ. Where do we hear those? In the New Testament and in the Old Testament. And then secondly, uh, there is also uh, the, the, um, uh, there, is, there is the subjective side of knowledge, the ras- rational side, the subjective side. The su- subjective side is your personal walk with Jesus Christ, that you know him. You have a personal relationship with him. You have come to the cross. You have received him in faith. And the two go hand in hand. The two make up salvation. Either one expressed to an extreme is wrong. They are equally important. In other words, you are to know the word and you're to apply the word in your life. You're to live it. You're to operate within it. Full knowledge is knowing the truth about Jesus and knowing the person of Jesus. In fact, Peter is going to close, close out this book by saying this to his saying this to his, to his readers, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and until the days of eternity. Amen. And that's that's the idea here that he's expressing in this second in this second this second verse that it would be it would be multiplied to you and it's multiplied to you by knowing Jesus, knowing his word and knowing his person. Uh, That's that's the idea that he's asking here. And then he goes on in verses three and four and he, he, he begins talking about the privileges that are ours because of our faith. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him. And incidentally, this ties verse 3 to verse 2, why we don't make a division here. And he says, uh, full knowledge of him who calls us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption uh, that is uh, that is in the world by lust. So first of all, he begins. He, he transitions from his salutation uh, to basically the body of his context, using the word knowledge to tie tie it all together in verses two and three. And he he says, seeing to us that his divine power has granted us everything. <clears throat> Now, there's a debate here, once again, is it referring to God granted it or Jesus granted it? Um, I, the text doesn't make any specific reference here, so I, I feel 
that it's best that we understand this, that the fullness of the Godhead granted it. Because all are involved. Uh, God made the plan. Uh, Jesus was the one who brought it to fruition. And the Holy Spirit is the one who allows us the ability to keep it. All are involved in it. And so I don't see that, that, there, that there, is, there is any any way that we divide that. That divine power derives from, all, from the fullness of the Godhead. And I think that's what he's saying here. Uh, that the divine power that has been granted to us comes from God in all that he is. That, that's the idea. And basically it's telling us that we have everything we need to live out the Christian life. We have everything we need to do what God has called us to do. That's, that's what this is telling us. Uh, that's, that's the idea here. Uh, we, we tap into his power, if you will. And he says, he has granted, which is, uh, uh, is a, a perfect passive participle. And if you know what that means, that means that's something that happened in the past and it continues to be true till eternity. It doesn't stop. That's, that's the idea behind it. He is granted. It's not a one-time thing. It's continual. It happened at a point in time, and it continues. It happened when you were saved, and it continues as long as you're, as long as you're breathing. He's granted us, is the idea here. It happened in the past, and it continues. It's permanently granted the power, uh, this power on believers. And he says it, it, it pertains to everything in life and godliness, Believers lack nothing. They're fully equipped. In other words, this is, this is talking, when he's talking about life and godliness, he's talking about living out the life here on planet Earth. He's talking about that time from justification to glorification, the time of sanctification. You have everything you need to live out your sanctification, to bring it to where God wants you to bring it. He's given you that power fully. That's, that's, what, that's what Peter is saying. He's giving you everything that pertains to life and goodly, uh, godliness. Uh, there's, there is no, there, there's no blaming God if you stumble. He's given you all that you need. It's, 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 there's no lack of provision from God. 1 Corinthians 10.13, 12.13, and 1 Peter 5.10. These verses all, all refer to, to some of the things God has done. 10.13 uh, tells us there's no temptation uh, that's taken us, but God always provides a way of escape uh, with it. Th- that kind of an idea. And incidentally, the way the, the, the text is structured, it, uh, it makes... Uh, the position that everything in the text makes it emphatic, stressing the sufficiency that believers have from God within them to to carry out what God has called them to do. That's 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 what he's that's what he's wanting us to understand. We have been sufficiently equipped for everything that that we will face. And then he says, life and God and godliness, which, as I just said, is the realm of sanctification, that period between justification and glorification. It's, it's, uh, and, it, and it also is another reminder of our security in Christ. He has given us what we need to make it through this life till the point we go to be with him. That's ultimately what he's saying here. <clears throat> uh, yeah, we've been empowered by God. To preserve to the end, Hebrews 3, 4. 
And the godliness is really the idea of true worship and obedience. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, he's saying, he's, he, he's, he's given us everything we need to live out our lives and to live them godly, to live them in a manner which honors God, ultimately, is what he is saying here. To live, out, to live our lives fully in him, giving him the glory and the honor for it all. That's, that's what Peter is, is suggesting in, these, in, this, in this particular verse. And then he goes, once again, he brings this back in. He brings, through the true knowledge of him who has called us. He says, to the true knowledge of him. Once again, he uses that same word, epigenosis. It's the same idea, the deep, full embracing of the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, both intellectually, that is, we know the doctrines of the faith which we, which we, which we embrace, and, and in our walk with God, in our walk with Jesus, where we live out those doctrines. And the world sees them lived out within us, in our relationship with Him, in our prayer life, in our, in our family life, in our church life, in our work life, in all those areas of life where we may find ourselves. It's that deep knowledge. Here he speaks of a knowledge, uh, knowledge that is by one which is saved, ultimately, because he uses the word called. And here he is talking about the effectual call, which always results in salvation. Uh, you understand there are basically, there are a couple of ways calls, call. well, there's a number of ways call is used in the New Testament. One is there's the general call. Uh, God made that out, Matthew chapter 28, go into the world and Tell everyone, you know, ultimately, is, is the idea. Uh, but then there is the effectual call. That's when you were called specifically. Uh, that's where the elect of God are called into salvation. And that's, that's what he's talking about here. Uh, that's the call he's talking about here. Incidentally, if you're a believer, you've been called. Not, the pastor's not the only one that got called. He had a secondary call into the ministry God set for him. So did you, really, but we don't say it that way. But ultimately, all of us were called to salvation. And God did the calling. You didn't call him. He called you. That's, that's, that's the important thing here. Uh, is he has called us. Uh, in Romans 8.30, it says, Whom he predestined them he also called. In other words, whom he elected, whom he had chose before the foundations of the earth, he made sure you received the call. No one was missed. No one is ever missed. That's the idea here. Uh, it's, it's the effectual or irresistible call. In, in, the, in, uh, in Calvinism, it's called the irresistible, irresistible grace. It's it's the uh, fourth point in his five points, the one, the one that fills the eye and the tulip. <laughs> Total depravity, <clears throat> unconditional, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace in the preservation of the saints. In other, word, in other words, you have no ability to reach God on your own. It is God whom in his, his choice and purposes elected to choose you specifically, and he did it before the foundations of the earth, the atonement of Jesus Christ ultimately is only limited to those who, whom he has called. 
uh, that it, is, it can't be applied to anyone who isn't called. And all who are called in irresistible, irresistible grace will be called and will cannot... I've got to get a double negative here. They, uh, they, will, they will not resist that call. They will come. You came because you were called. You're saved because you were called. That's ultimately what it means. Oh, and by the way, it'll last until you go to glory, and then it'll last all through glory as well. Uh, that, that's the idea here. That's, that's what he's saying. Uh, and he, and he, says, he says, by his own glory and excellence... These two words are almost synonymous. Um, they, they have the, the, the same idea. Uh, John and John 1 4 says, we've seen the glory of him with our eyes. That's what it means. We, we, we know of his glory. Uh, we, we know of his glory. And, and it's, it's who he is. He is a glorious person. We have seen that. Uh, and it's recorded to us in Scripture. And then he talks about his excellence, and it reflects on praise. Uh, it, uh, it, 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 it speaks of uh, uh, the goodness of his deeds toward us. And we've all experienced that. If you're a Christian, you should look back over the history you have with God whenever you think you're in trouble somewhere. Uh, look back to how God has brought you to where you are. And just keep on going. Look at his goodness. That's the idea. His glory and his excellence. That's who Jesus is. He is glorious and he is excellent and he operates in your life in that way. And then he goes on in verse 4. And he says, For by these his glory and his excellence, he has granted to us Once again, it's the same word that is used in verse 3, the granted. It's a perfect tense verb, meaning it's something that, uh, that, uh, uh, that began and has, is being fulfilled always. It doesn't go away. It's a perfect tense verb. It means it started and it continues. He says, precious and magnificent promises. These words could be translated valuable and great promises. Uh, I think precious and magnificent are a little nicer terms, but at any rate, or a little fancier terms, anyway. His promises, that's all the things through Scripture that he's that he has promised to those who are his. Uh, it includes things like our spiritual life, the, the newness of life we have in Jesus Christ, the resurrected life that we will have with him in eternity. It includes the fact that he gave to us the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who indwells each of us. And who works within us, who, who brings us through that sanctification process. It's about the abundance of the grace that he has bestowed. It's the joy that we have because of the salvation that he, is, he has given to us. It's the strength we are given in him to do things that we probably thought at one time were impossible. But he gives us the strength to carry those things out. It's the guidance he gives us and the help that he gives us. Those may be synonymous, uh, but he guides us in life and he helps us through life. It's the instruction that we receive, uh, both, uh, both through discipline and through reading the word. It's, it's, the, it's the, uh, the wisdom that James says is promised to us if we just ask. It's heaven. That's one of his promises. It's, and it's eternal war, rewards. And incidentally, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians one twenty that the promises of God are yea and amen. That means they, they are going to happen. 
they will are going to happen. And he, he says, he says that that you may they were given so that you may become partakers in the divine nature. That you may become a partaker in the divine nature. That you may become not just future, but at present reality, actually, is the way this is constructed. Uh, And it builds upon what he has already said. He notes, God called us to full knowledge of the glory and excellence of life. We've received everything needed for that life and godliness and uh, uh, God. And then God has given us promises so that we may become all that he means for us to be. And here we have we have, and and we have now as a possession, God's own eternal life. Colossians one twenty seven. To Him, God, who will make known what is the riches of His glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, we re- we proclaim Him, uh, uh, admonishing. Every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man perfect in Christ. For this purpose I also labor, striving according to the working which he has given, uh, which works within, works in me in power. That's, that's the idea. He says, God has given us all these things. He says, so we become partakers. That is, we have fellowship. We're a sharer. We're a partner in. Uh, believers, Partner, have a partnership in life ultimately with God. That's the idea he's expressing here. First John 5.11 says, The witness is this, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Incidentally, that's written in the present tense. It means you currently possess it. You currently possess eternal life. Yes, you will die physically, but spiritually you will never die. That's a powerful thought. I don't know that I can fully comprehend it. And probably won't until the physical part of it goes away. But that's that's what he's saying here. And then he says, as a result of this, we have escaped the corruption of this world by lust. Have escaped basically pictures running from danger. That's what it pictures. Uh, that's what it means. Have escaped. We've run away from it. We've taken flight from danger. Corruption is a is a very very nice word. It means decomposition, rotting, and with the accompanying stench. That's what it means. Here it's being used in the sense of moral decomposition, which is driven by lust, evil desire. Ultimately, is what this is this is saying. First John two. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. That's, that's, what, he's, that's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. That's what he's wanting us to understand here. Peter begins this 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 uh, this message to these these believers in in Asia Minor who are who are in reality about to have the uh, the wrath of the Roman Empire unleashed on them, and he writes to them to remind them of who they are in Jesus Christ, to remind them that they possess life abundant through Him. 
and life eternal through him. That they are partakers in the eternal life, which is God. And he, that's what he's saying here. This, he's not saying you evolve to be a God. Don't misunderstand that. He's basically saying you share in that eternal life. That's what he's, that's what he's promising him. And that it never goes away. It's secure in him. Any comments or questions this morning? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I love that illustration. It's how do you, how do you get a handle on God's Word? You hear it, you read it, you study it, you memorize it. But without the fifth one, you can't grab it. <laughs> you know, and that's meditation. Yeah, it's and meditate on it. first three verses. I mean, you get stuck on slave for an hour. All you need is a study Bible to kind of prompt your memory, but the cross references and just thinking about what it means to be a slave, you could be there for an hour. And it takes that knowledge, which is so easily just be a you know, just your head knowledge, what brings it down to your heart is that missing element, I think, in the church today is meditation. Yeah. We're actually exhorted more to meditate on God's Word, memorize it, than we are to study it. Yeah. There's a plug for the men's retreat. <laughs> Everybody go. <laughs> yes. I have a quick question. You mentioned, um, our God and Savior, it's in verse 1. Um, and you, you mentioned the article that the God and Saviors are descriptors of Jesus Christ. Is that what you were saying? Yeah. And which article were you talking about by the right? Well, it, no, no, no. In Greek, there would be the or. Yeah, the English doesn't always translate exactly. Right. If it did, you wouldn't be able to read it. Right. I have direct. I have a book at home that is the, the direct course. translation, and it's like what? <laughs> okay. So it's um, the article is referring to both both nouns. When there's when there's a single, for example, when Jesus says, "I am the truth," right, the life. Right. You know, the, uh, the way, the life. Mm-hmm. The articles before each of them. He is each of those individually. But if it was just one article, I am the truth, the life, and the way, it would be all, it would be, the article would be related just to the three, and they would be a, all one, in other words. Yeah. And, and, and that's, what, that's what this is saying here. Uh, because the article, there is an article in the Greek there, and it's God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But there's only one, one article Okay. So it applies to both nouns. Got it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. I'm trying to figure out which article. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I didn't. I should have mentioned that. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Thank you. All right. Let's uh, let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning. We ask that we would take these words of Peter to our to heart. Uh, that we would uh, concentrate on knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, both knowing Him intellectually through His Word and knowing knowing Him experientially through our walk, that we would be fully surrendered to Him as a doulos of Jesus Christ, that we would serve Him fully and wholeheartedly all the days that we are on this planet, and we look forward to the moment we can be in Your presence and see the fullness of that glory and greatness. And we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.